Welcome to Small Church Shepherds, a weekly podcast of smallchurchshepherds.com, a ministry that exists to encourage, equip, and enrich small church pastors. I'm Dennis Ellenberg from Antioch Baptist Church in Brandon, Mississippi. And I'm James Clardy from Grace Falls Church in Fayetteville, Tennessee. And I'm Jonathan Greer, pastor of Franklin Creek Baptist Church in Moss Point, Mississippi. Well, guys, um, I think everyone that's listening to the podcast, unless they've been living under a rock this past week, has um, heard about the um, the scandal that is breaking in the SBC. Uh, in the Houston Chronicle, there's a major investigation into uh, church sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Church, and um, it's actually a three-part series. All three articles are out, and what they talk about is the fact that um, over 700 survivors, including children as young as three-year-olds, have been um, have been abused by over 200 offenders who either were uh, staff or were members of Southern Baptist churches. And, and there have been numerous articles that have been written um, from Al Mohler, uh, Russell Moore, um, the Founders Ministries, all of these um, different groups that have, have talked about uh, this issue and how um, egregious it was, how heartbreaking it is. And we want to just we just want to mirror that at Small Church Shepherds and say how how heartbroken and how painful um, it is to to see this in our own denomination. But but in any denomination, in any part of the body of Christ, it's painful to see this occurring. And so um, we wanted to just begin with that. But today, what we wanted to talk about, our topic today is that in light of the sexual abuse scandal in the SBC, we want to sort of focus in on how small churches can protect themselves and its membership from this kind of abuse happening within the body and from this kind of abuse um, affecting the members and the staff of the church. And so I guess, guys, what we want to begin with is what are some of the dangers that this issue brings to life in small churches that small churches especially need to be aware of? What are some of the minefields and some of the things that are happening that small churches need to be aware of? Well, I think the first thing you need to think of is that these types of predators thrive in small churches mm-hmm. because it's the obscure, it's it's right. the hidden place. And so I think small churches more than anyone really need to be aware of this and try to somehow take precautions. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, the environment and the context allows for a lot of things to take place because it's not at a large church with a lot of publicity, maybe not a famous right. pastor or famous staff, or whatever it may be. So I think the dangers uh, for us are, are very real. They are there, as the report shows. Um, and we even know of stories ourselves as pastors right. we've heard um, in associations or state levels. So mm-hmm. uh, we're not immune to it. Um, and so, yeah, we, we – it. This shows us now that we as pastors have just got to have the courage to step up, have the conversation, and start putting some things in place because the danger's there, and it's real, and it's here. Right, and and, and especially in a small church context, um, in, in a larger church, you have the funds and you have the um, the resources 
to to do um, more effective background checks, to um, have more security in in, in the the building um, in place, and so for small church, uh, especially. When um, we we talk about very traditional small churches that have not thought about these things and have not put money into those things, um, like you said, it it is a it is a a feeding ground for sexual predators because um, in the body of Christ, um, what what often happens is that Satan will will put someone in the body. Because we are, we want to trust each other. We want to love. We want to treat each other with respect and, and trust that um, everyone has goodwill that comes into the church. Um, Satan can use that, and, and sexual predators use that that goodwill um, to 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 hunt and do the things that they do. And so, those are some of the dangers that we see in the small church. So. Um, one of the dangers that I think that that I see, and Jonathan, you talked about earlier, is that often because in the small church there is a familiarity that is bred within a small church. Uh, one of the strengths of small churches is intimacy because it's small. You get to know everybody. Um, and so that can often lead to a mindset of, oh, that can never happen here. Yeah. You know, I know Brother Bob. Um, I, I, I went to high school with his daughter. Um, we grew up together. So that couldn't happen here. So how does that familiarity, especially in small churches, both help small churches recognize and see the dangers, but also help hinder small churches from recognizing and seeing the dangers uh, of sexual predators in their midst? I think that like you said, familiarity, you know people, um, and that's a good thing. We want to be familiar. We want to be intimate with our church members and with um, the staff. You want to know their lives and know their character. And we don't want to raise up this air of conspiracy. But the what we do want to do is realize that even the people we know have sin in their life— even the people we know have temptations that maybe they would never utter out loud. Right. And and we have to be willing to accept that people that we think of as good people, people we think of as friends or family, um, could be capable of monstrous, monstrous offenses. Um, right. Yeah, I would say the intimacy thing, it can be a two-edged sword just in the sense of on one side, we, we long for it. We need it as the body of Christ uh, to grow, to thrive. Uh, but at the same time, um, if we're not careful, that, that same intimacy as you're saying we're building um, can create a, a culture of if abuse happens, we keep it in-house. We either, either we ignore it because we don't want to believe it and admit it uh, that it's going on um, or we acknowledge it, but we try to keep it hush hush right. because to be honest with you, one of the, the, the fears of small churches always is one good controversy and your church is done. I mean, it you is. could, you could yeah. split it up a church running 5,000 to lose a hundred. That's a drop in the bucket. The churches I pastor to lose a hundred, you don't have a church. Right. So, so that that's that's a fear. So you're going to have to find a balance to create intimacy, but also create a culture. It's like we love each other. We're sinners 
you know, following Christ, right. growing in Christ, repenting. But we also need to communicate and take care of the issue if it arises. Right. And, and like we talked about, when we talked about dealing with staff, I think the same family dynamic applies to um, this issue. Because a lot of times what can happen is when, when, when you have that kind of predator in your church, um, grandma may be in that church. Uh, the uncle may be the chairman of the deacons. Um, you may have cousins who are um, even on staff. And so when these kind of things happen, um, any kind of sexual abuse or even sexual immorality within the church uh, between members that are that are of age, um, there can be this this desire by the body not to embarrass the family because it's not just losing a few members. You may lose whole families, whole family groups. You may lose elders within the body. And so I think that's why a lot of churches do keep it hush-hush. It's not that they don't think it's a serious issue. Um, They just realize that the fallout of something like this can really, like you say, James, it can sink a church. And so um, we want to recognize that those are the dangers and um, that that there is that danger of familiarity, but also because it is it is a cousin, or it could be uncle, an uncle who's the chairman of the deacons who's doing the sexual abuse. There's that. Oh, he would never do that. That's my uncle. How dare you say that my uncle did that? How dare mm. you say my 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 cousin did that? And so those things get hidden. Because depending on how many family members are in that church, I mean, you could be fighting against, you know, three quarters of your church in some cases. And so um, it causes issues that um, a lot of times I don't think bigger church pastors or bigger churches um, understand because their context is so different. And so for small churches, we need to recognize that. So I, I guess the next question that leads itself into and where we're going to spend the majority well, hey, of our time. Be- before oh, we do that, yeah. before we go into the next question, uh, one thing I, I think familiarity becomes a defense for the predator because oh, yeah. if if you are familiar with someone, you're going to give more credence to their, their testimony. Right. So if uh, one of the things that we have seen in this report is that the victims felt pressured to keep quiet. They were told things like, who's going to believe you? But, you know, between right. me and you, who who do you think they're going to believe? And I think familiarity brings that because honestly, if you have your cousin that you've grown up with your whole life that has been a member of your church for 30 years and you have this bus ministry kid that right. you barely know and and your cousin says I never touched that girl and the oh, girl yeah. says no he, he touched me inappropriately who are you just naturally inclined to believe you're naturally inclined to believe your family member that you grew up with for 20 years you right. know and been a church member uh, but we we have to realize that we can't let familiarity become a defense. We need to be able to take all accusations um, seriously and give them proper investigation before we just dismiss somebody for a false allegation when it could be... Right. And, and I agree with that because I, I, I think, James, you were, you were sharing with us the fact that you've had that happen where someone was falsely accused of this. And so when we, we move into um, the practical and, and biblical side of what to do about this, I, I think there is um, a need. And, and I think familiarity actually goes the opposite way, Jonathan, because you were saying familiarity says, who are you going to believe? But then also if the accuser 
who is making a false accusation happens to be the one that's connected to everyone in the church, mm. then it can make it where the one who's being accused has no recourse. They're they're mm-hmm. in that situation. And so I think it's important that we we set up safeguards both for those being accused and those who are accusing. We don't want to we don't want to immediately say, you don't know what you're talking about. You're making this up about this person. But also we don't want to immediately say, well, they're saying this happened, so you're gone immediately. Um, there has to be some things that churches do to protect both accused and accuser um, from the fallout of this, because we've seen in other um, other instances where when these allegations come out, there's a rise in false allegations that follow this. And so the next question is, what are some of the practical and biblical things that small churches can do? And this is where we're going to spend the bulk of the rest of our time, that small churches can do to protect themselves and their members from these allegations and from sexual abuse, because that's what we want. At the end of the day, what we want is we want people to come in and feel safe, feel like they're, we're doing everything we can do to protect them. And so what are some of the things? I think we'll start on the practical side and then we'll move to the biblical side, because there are some biblical structural things that we may have to start looking at, especially in my denomination, Southern Baptists, that we may have to start looking at and saying, OK, what can we do? protect ourselves. So James, why don't you start with that? What are some practical things we can do? Well, uh, first off, practically, I encourage pastor, number one, you have to be resolved to have uh, a balanced view in the sense of you have to give due diligence. When an accusation comes, no matter who it comes from, it doesn't matter Mm. if it's the chairman of the deacons, someone driving a bus, if it's a 15-year-old child, a teenager, a five-year-old, you have to, at that moment, have the resolve to say, we are going to have due diligence here, investigate this, and do what's right and safe at the end of the day, no matter no matter where it leads you, no matter where it mm. leads you, you got to have the courage and the resolve to do that. Number one, because if you do not, no matter what practical steps you take, biblical steps you take, if you operate from a place of nativity and and don't act upon these things, um, you're, you're, you're setting yourself up for a lot of serious heartache um, and heartbreak down the road. So number one, practically, I would just say you personally need to be have the conviction to when this happens, if it comes to you, you've got to have the courage and the resolve to do what's right. That, that would be number one, practically. Um, right. Secondly, as, as a pastor, and I'm going to kick the ball here, punt it to a Jonathan, but one of the things that we did, number one, at the church that we're at after an accusation, number one, get you people that are qualified and that you trust, get you a, you can call it a committee, you can call it a team, whatever you want, but you need to get down, uh, sit down with your elders, your deacons, ministry leaders, and you need to comb through all the ministry of your church, Mm. everything that you do to see where the gaps are so that you can start protecting men, women, teenagers, children of all ages. And then you can start putting together practical steps, some that Jonathan are going to mention specifically, but you need to right now plan a meeting, sit down in light of this conversation and this controversy and start putting the work in right Right. now. 
Jonathan. Right. And 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 what does that what does that look like? One thing you do need to do an internal review, but one mm-hmm. thing that uh, Albert Moeller has been bringing up that I agree with in cases like this, where an organization or an institution or let's bring it down to us, a church has an allegation like this, you need something third party to look at this. And for most of a small church, your third party in this is going to be the police, right. because if someone comes to you and says they have been sexually abused, mm-hmm. you need to investigate it. Yes, but you need to alert the authorities. That's the only possible way, because given the chance that this is real, the police need to step in. There needs to be legal procedures. On the chance that it is fake, you need the police in there to make sure that this is researched on their side. So a third-party process needs to be involved as well as an internal review. Um, But big thing is, is preemptively on these things, do background checks. Right. do not hire anyone in your church that you've not done a background check on. They're cheap. You can get them for as cheap as $5 a person. Um, so this is not something that uh, a church can't do. Our church is small, and we're in the process of hiring a youth minister. So what we've done is we got a monthly subscription to a background checking service. It was like 20 bucks for a month. And we just used it for one month to run all of our youth ministers through to right. get background checks. And what you got, Dennis? And, and yeah, I mean, not just do it once, though. And I think that's one error that churches make is they'll do it one time. And they say, oh, we did background checks. They need to have a policy of doing those background checks on a on a, a standard you know, period. So once every two years, once every five years, because um, if this kind of thing happens, if there's some kind of a, a sexual abuse or something that happens within the church, the, the family's not going to show up and announce to the whole church, hey, I, I, I'm a, now, you know, I'm now on the sex registry. Just thought you should know. They're going to keep that hidden the best they can. And so a, a consistent process of doing this is important. Go ahead, Jonathan, finish up. That's such something not- I wanted to add. Yeah, no, that's a good addition. Not only your staff members, but you need to be doing background checks and sex offender registry checks on anyone who comes in contact with your youth or children or or nursery. Workers and youth workers have a background check done on them before they are allowed to work the nursery, do children's church, teach a Sunday school class, anything that's involved with our children. They have to have a background check passed. Um, And like you said, Dennis, we need to be diligent in continuing to update those background checks. Um, next thing I know that's just a practical step, and then maybe y'all have some more thoughts on this, is that you as a church or as a pastor need to have a process in your church for reporting these things. Like there needs to be a known process because I think a lot of times when these things happen in a church, it's shrouded in mystery with the, the victim doesn't know what to do. They don't, they like, who can I contact? Well, who do I talk to? Well, it's your job as a pastor to have those avenues set up to where people know if something happens, no, they, know without judgment, without any type of criticism, I can come to this person or I can go through this avenue. I have a deacon I can talk to. I have maybe it's the pastor. And you need to have it other than just people in authority, because what if the person you've put in authority is the person who is perp- is the perpetrator? All right. You right. need to have you need to have a 
have multiple people in your church that are set up and equipped to receive these allegations. Yeah, and, and, and that's a good point because, Jonathan, a lot of times what a lot of churches don't realize is that sexual predators will insinuate in themselves into your security team. They'll insinuate themselves into your children's ministry. They'll put themselves in p- positions where they're making the policy so that they can protect themselves from being discovered. Mm-hmm. And so you need to have a multitude of people that are working through this process. And then there's a couple of little practical things I want to add. Number one, you need to have practical protections like a, a no no one alone with kids policy. Um, mm-hmm. No one alone with kids. Um, that, that there's never a time where a child or a group of children are in the church alone with anyone but their parents um, at, at any time within the ministry of your church. And that's hard to do. Um, we've all been there where you've got a, a, a toddler room and you've got uh, five or six kids and one of the kids need to go to the bathroom and you've got to walk out of the bathroom and you've got one person taking the kid to the bathroom. That is that is a right time, a right time for a sexual predator, but it's also a right time for a misunderstanding to hinder somebody. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Jonathan. I, I would add to that is that you need to be aware of what's happening outside the church too, mm-hmm. because I have some of these instances that were in this report where, where you had ministers or deacons or youth ministers having, because they want to have a relationship Right. Supposedly of one of mentorship and discipleship, having people over to their homes. If it comes right. to your attention that your single male youth minister is having youth over to their home with no other adult present, that's something you right. need to address. Like that's a that's a no go. Right. And the same thing goes for non youth ministers. I mean, if you just have some single guy in your or woman in your congregation that is having kids over their house that are on their own with no uh, no other adult present, right. that's an issue you need to address. Well, even as pastors, um, I remember when I went into youth ministry, uh, one of the, the, the wisest things that uh, the pastor of the church that I was at said to me was he said, Brother Dennis, you go nowhere and do nothing alone with students. He mm-hmm. said, because it's not only that you that protects the kids, but it protects you. And so I, I think it's important. I don't go visiting alone. You know, um, now, if I go visit a shut in, it's usually a shut in um, um, who is uh, married um, that's a little bit different. Uh, sometimes you can take someone, sometimes you can't. I understand that that's, that's difficult, but you, as much as possible as a pastor, you need to never be alone with, with someone um, unless it's in a public space. Um, and you just need to guard yourself. But then also another practical thing, I think, and this is something we had to do at one of the churches I was at, was, um, and this is simple, but every door in the church was solid. And so something as simple as putting windows in all of the doors of your church uh, is important because being able to walk by and look in the window and see what's going on in a classroom, uh, being able to walk by an office and see what's going on in an office is is a powerful deterrent for people who would do this thing because they don't want to get discovered. And if they think I can't do anything in this room because all it takes is the pastor walking by and popping his head in the window and I'm caught, then that creates a barrier. And it's a very simple barrier to them doing these sorts of things. And, uh, and it just seems 
like a dumb moment, but you won't believe how many churches you go to and every door is a solid wooden door or a solid metal door. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm like, that is foolish. That's foolish. And so um, a lot of times just a, a practical thing that you can do as a church, a lot of times your state agencies will have someone who is a specialist in um, these kind of issues. I know in the state of Mississippi, we have Roger Orman um, who does these sorts of, he, he'll do evaluations of your church and how you do things and give you suggestions. And so I would suggest, especially for a small church, have one of those guys come in, have your, your children's leaders and your security security team and your deacons and anybody that um, is in leadership be there and walk through the church with them as they share okay these are the these are the warning signs in your church they they know more than we do about this they can give some good suggestions Uh, any more practical things anybody thought of that they want to share before we move on to the biblical I would encourage the pastors that are listening right now, if you feel overwhelmed by Mm -hmm. the suggestions as of where do I start, what do I do, I would highly recommend to do what Dennis just recommended. As we ran into an issue at my church, I was pastoring, we got a hold of him. He came to our church from our state agency, Mm -hmm. sat down with us, and walked through our property all Mm -hmm. around our property and showed us every liability, every issue, and told us what do we need to do with our insurance, what we need to do with our building, and our policies. Right. Um, He will come. You don't have to pay him. (coughs) Call your state agency. Call them. Ask them. And they will come and sit with you and your leadership. What he tells you to do, just please listen to me, do it. Yeah, it's not a, it's not up for debate anymore. Mm-mm. Just do it. It doesn't matter your budget. Doesn't matter. You you've got you've got to do those. So I I, I just want to echo and second what Dennis said. Is I know you, you may feel overwhelmed, but you can, the first thing you can do is contact your state, get your leaders together, start the conversation, start the work with due diligence, perseverance. Because at the end of the day, it matters. It glorifies God and it protects your sheep. And one, and this is a great time to do it too, James, because let's be honest, right now this is on everybody's mind. If you wait a year from now, it, it's very easy for our people get to get back into that mentality. It won't happen here. That's unnecessary. But right now everybody's thinking about this issue. And you could go to your deacon's pastor and say, look, with this going on, we really need to do an audit of our church. Let's call somebody from the state agency, and we need to agree as as leaders of the church that whatever they tell us to do, we're going to do immediately. And I think if you broach it that way and you use this, this thing um, that is evil— for good, it can really help your church and help you um, move through this process. And, and another thing, it, it'll help you as a pastor. People will begin to trust you more. It helps build um, equity with them because they know that you care about them, and that is an incredibly important thing. Yeah, and you also need to realize that you have to have this as an opportunity to inform your people. We can't take it for granted that we as pastors are super hyper aware of this, but are congregation, specifically our elderly, are are not aware of this. And I mean, I just had a situation recently where I mentioned this to some of my church members, and they did not know that this was even going on. So we have a duty to inform our church members so that they know the urgency of the changes you're trying to make. Right. And, and, and I think that's true. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, we're on social media. We live on social media. Our ministry is, is is very active in social media. So we see this stuff all the time. But when you're talking about, um, especially some of our elderly 
um, members, they may not even know what's going on. So I think that's incredibly important and incredibly helpful. Well, um, you know, as we we've got one other issue that we said we were going to talk about. That's the biblical issue uh, of how this should affect the way not only we protect our members by um, practical things, but but it, it does bear a conversation that we need to do on we need to have on how we structure our church and, 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 and a conversation we need to have on whether or not there needs to be some, some thought put into the way that we do church. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think that's a pretty big conversation, guys. And so what I'm going to suggest today, and I think um, you guys would probably agree, we're going to go ahead and just close out this conversation today and leave it right here. And what we're going to do is we're going to make this a two-parter, and we'll come back together um, next week. And we're going to look at the biblical side of how we can protect our churches. What are some biblical changes we may need to look at? And, and, and I think those are the harder changes to make. But what mm-hmm. are some of the biblical changes that we need to make to help protect our members, help protect our church, and help do things for the the glory of God. And so I think that's incredibly helpful. Um, Jonathan um, and, and James, I just want to thank you guys for joining us today. Um, Jonathan, you mind sharing with um, our, our listeners how they can support our ministry? Yes. First off, send us an email at smallchurchshepherds at gmail.com. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss, any input on this topic we've talked about today or any others you've listened to in the past, um, hit us up on Twitter at Shepherd Small is the handle there. And then on Facebook is probably where we're the most active at Small Church Shepherds on Facebook. We have a page there. Send us a message on Messenger. Um, Like and share our articles is always a way to help get us some exposure and help spread our ministry. And another way, if you would listen to um, this podcast, go to Apple um, Podcasts on iTunes and rate us and leave a review. That helps get to, that helps us get exposure. Um, and you might think, oh, well, I don't, I don't know. I never do that. Why would I go and rate something? Yeah, I can't underestimate the amount it will help spread this ministry. If you would just give us uh, a five star review and and give us a a comment about the show. Um, We would appreciate that greatly. So thanks for listening today and peace. Absolutely. Thanks.